Michael Lawrence, welcome back to the Disciple Henson podcast. I can't believe you're having me back. That last one was such a snoozer. Uh, I don't remember what the last one was. Me either. So it must have been a snoozer. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was searching for someone to come on this podcast. I kept, kept on getting turned down. So I thought well, since we work together. Yeah. Uh, no, it's always it's always a treat. Actually, I do remember now getting a number of comments about how your last podcast, whatever it was, how it was helpful. <laughs> Somebody else who was on the show recently, the show, um, said, asked me just the other day, uh, what kind of feedback did you get from from the episode? And I just didn't you know, remember. Didn't um, remember. <laughs> it was good. I here's the feedback. It was good. It was good. It was good. Listeners, we love to get feedback and hear how this podcast is encouraging you, helping you. So thank you for those of you who have passed that along. Uh, today, Michael, we want to talk about the book of Revelation. Okay. So the previous episode, we we trust it hasn't been released at the time of this recording. I was grilling my dad on all, like, who are the two witnesses? Yeah. What's the mark of the beast? Hearing his view on the millennium. Have you heard his most updated, where he's at with you the know, millennium? He was quickly trying to explain to me his updated view and but it was really quick and i it's new it's like kind of different and i wasn't following yeah i i had never heard of his view and he explained it briefly on the podcast but that's not the purpose of this podcast um and we're going to probably do a two-parter here okay. in, the, in the book of revelation the the purpose is not for you to defend amillennialism but to think for us to have this conversation about the book of Revelation, how it lands in our lives following the sermon series, where certainly the focus of the sermon series was was not the the millennium, but just all the, the major themes. So let's start with how you decided to entitle this sermon series, Room with a View. What gave you, do you remember what gave you that idea for the theme for these sermons? Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of things. Whenever I think of a series title, I'm, I'm actually trying to think about what's the melodic line of the book. Like if, if there was a main theme that runs through the whole book, what is it? And how could I put that in sort of a, a pithy language uh, for a series title? But the other thing I'm also thinking about is, okay, how, how is this book supposed to function in our lives? What's it, what's it supposed to do? Uh, and so this with this particular series, I, I, I found myself gravitating more towards that latter. Like, how should this book function uh, in our lives? How did it function in the lives of the early church, the first readers? And, uh, and I was convinced, yeah, it's, it's here to give us perspective. It's here to give us perspective in the midst of suffering, in the midst of apparent defeat, in the, in the midst of being a tiny minority in a, in a world that's, that's opposed. Uh, and, and then, of course, there's that, that repeated phrase, uh, come up here and I'll show you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then a door opens in heaven, and, mm. and he's invited up into the throne room of God himself. Uh, and all of that kind of came together with my love for movies and literature mm. uh, to A Room with a View, which is actually a movie that I'm not sure I've ever seen, but I've always loved that title. The, what what movie is that? Is that that's not it's, an Alfred Hitchcock? It, I'm thinking of Rear Window. No, it's no. not Rear Window. No, uh, I think it's a foreign language film. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I can't remember, but it's just it was a title that always just struck me as evocative. Yeah. Well, I, I think it certainly was that, and I think it was a helpful uh, kind of motif throughout the mm. the sermon series. 
Um, did you, out of curiosity, maybe you don't remember, did you choose to preach through Revelation as we were going through the pandemic and all this political division and uh, things like, did you kind of think, kind of look at the congregation, look at the world as we're experiencing it right now and say, kind of, this is what we need? Uh, or this is uh, the next book that we, we should go walk through together because of what we're going through? Yeah, in part. Okay. In part. Because, you know, I, I have this pattern that I follow, moving yep. back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the moving through the genres. And so I knew that my next series was going to be a New Testament series in somewhere in the general epistles, because I divide up the New Testament, Gospel and Acts, Pauline epistles, general epistles. Mm. Revelation is part of the general epistles. So uh, I had, and I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm trying not to repeat, because I haven't mm-hmm. preached every book of the Bible yet. Mm-hmm. So I, um, as I looked at the general epistles and kind of thought about my options, in light of everything that we're going through, uh, everything we've been through, it seemed like perspective would be helpful. Yeah. So was it helpful for you? I, mean, I think so. Yeah, I you, think I you think, were doing the work of the prep. Um, you know, you're personally walking with Christ and uh, experiencing uh, the the trouble of not gathering together through um, you know kind of leading up to the series. I guess by the time you began this series, we were more gathering. Yeah. But it's still we we're experiencing kind of the the after effects That's and right. even the current um, even some division. But it was it, it helped you, encouraged you. I think so. I yeah. think it was very encouraging for me just to be forced to be reminded week in and week out that regardless of the opposition that we face from without, uh, regardless of whether or not things get worse, which I assume they will mm-hmm. at some point. Um, regardless of uh, some of the challenges within, and we've certainly felt them, mm-hmm. uh, the kingdom of God wins. The church wins. Uh, and that was just extremely encouraging. And so wh- one of the things that was helpful for me was to be reminded again and again and again um, that, that victory is defined in Revelation as as faithfulness, as persevering faithfulness to the one who overcomes, to the one who's victorious, right, who conquers. Uh, it's, it's not uh, getting the pandemic right. It's not winning an election. It's not uh, having cultural hegemony. Uh, winning and victory is persevering faithfulness. That mm-hmm. is really helpful for me. And that, yeah, that was certainly helpful for me too in the midst of the, the current circumstances. Um, but obviously this wasn't the, the first time that you read the book of Revelation, um, that you studied it. Had you ever preached it or taught, taught it before this sermon series? All I had done prior to this was a series through the letters. So the first three chapters, I did that years ago here at Henson. Right. It was called Love Letters from Jesus. Yeah. And you did like seven sermons then? <clears throat> yeah. 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 Okay. What about uh, rewinding the tape back? You, you, I think you began in the sermon series talking about how when you were a kid growing up in like Southern Baptist churches, oh, yeah. how when the sermons would get boring or long. Which was always. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would open up your, your Bible, turn to Revelation and just yeah. be kind of entertained by the evocative images by the the color that we see in the book of Revelation. But what about um, as you started thinking about it uh, as a Christian and thinking about how to interpret this difficult book? Talk about your journey there. Have you always kind of um, interpreted Revelation the same way? What has 
impacted you, influenced you when it comes to interpreting this difficult book? Yeah, so uh, I think my journey of interpretation with Revelation is probably like like many in America. I started uh, in a church that was both dispensational and premillennial, and uh, in youth group, you know, you would have debates with your fellow youth about are you a, a pre-trib pre-mill or a mid-trib pre-mill or a post-trib pre-mill. You, you know, we cared about those sorts of things. Um, I, I always thought like the braver options were to be like mid-trib or post-trib, but I, I really wanted to be pre-trib, right? Who wants, uh-huh. who wants to go through the tribulation? Right. And, and that was, I mean, that was just the, the dominant understanding. Hmm. Uh, and, and not just in the, uh, the church that I was in and what was being taught, but I mean, I grew up with these Christian comic books uh, that were all about all of this stuff. Do you still have um, any of those? I don't think I do. Oh, maybe they're worth I, some money. I, it'd be fascinating. Of course, and Chick Tracks huh. um, were a, bi- a big deal in my world. Um, so I... Uh, and those aren't tracks for chicks. No, they are not. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like evangelistic kind of biblical... They're, they're old school evangelistic tracks with pretty graphic line drawings of people suffering in hell often. Um the comic books were much more colorful, and they they kind of mapped onto the Cold War. So there were these, um, you know, th- there'd be these agents behind enemy lines, uh-huh. uh, behind the Iron Curtain, and they were gripping, you know, for mm. me as an eight-year-old, mm-hmm. um, these Christian comic books, because my mom didn't let me buy regular comic books. Um, so that 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 was just the world I grew up in. Uh, then then uh, you know you get you get older, and I, I go off to college and. I was probably for the very first time introduced to people who didn't believe all the same things that I just assumed all Christians believed. And so that was just sort of challenging. Mm, mm-hmm. you, you know, I just didn't know mm-hmm. that there were Christians that had different views. I didn't mm. know there were a variety of views on the millennium. I didn't know that there were different approaches uh, to the book of Revelation. But I didn't spend much time there. Okay. I just, it just wasn't a big deal. Sure. And then it was, it was when I got to seminary. Uh, that I really started thinking about it, and but not actually by thinking about Revelation. It was more about thinking about the big picture of biblical theology, mm-hmm. and I got introduced to biblical theology. And you were at Gordon-Conwell, and That's right. uh, did you ever have G.K. Beale? Indeed I did. Okay. I took I took Greg Beale for Revelation. Uh-huh. I think it was the last exegesis course I took, my, my fourth year. Uh, and uh, it was a great class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg had not published any of his commentaries yet. He was mm-hmm. still writing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, what professors do. They use their classes uh, to, to get all their material together that then becomes a, a commentary down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were still in that phase. It was a little frustrating because uh, there were a couple of guys in our class that uh, really weren't interested in the book of Revelation. They just wanted to debate Greg Beale on... Uh, things like the sovereignty of God and even really arcane topics like superlapsarianism. Oh, wow. And Greg was very generous to these two guys, much to the chagrin of much of the rest of the class. Hmm. Hmm. And then another maybe professor, was it that helped you in terms of thinking about the whole story of like biblical theology, Meredith Klein? Meredith Klein. Yeah. So so Meredith Klein uh, taught me Old Testament hermeneutics. Okay. And inter- really was the first one to introduce me formally 
to biblical theology. Okay. And that was, uh, that was, that, you know, we, I never took, I didn't even really take the prophets with him. He had a prophets class, but I couldn't fit it into my schedule. Uh, so I didn't ever look specifically at Revelation with him, but he, all of his works uh, are looking at the Bible as a whole. And so he was constantly in, in the books of his that he wrote, that, that I read, which was quite a few, uh, he was drawing from the book of Revelation and helping me think about it in terms of the whole canon. That's great. So in terms of, and that might help people who are listening. And if you're someone who's listening in all this language, all this kind of uh, lingo of pre-trib, post-mill, um, dispensational, if those are new terms to you, I just refer you back to the previous podcast where I had my dad kind of briefly define uh, what those views oh, that's good. are. Uh, so hope that's helpful to you. So in terms of your journey, and we'll, we'll start getting into the text here in just a second and your sermons, but you went from the chick tracks and the comic books. Uh, did you ever get into the left behind books before you went over to Meredith Klein and GK Beale? <laughs> I, don't, I, I think I'm too old. Yeah. I, I okay. Don't, I don't think that was that, post seminary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or certainly post me being interested in reading anything like that. Mm. You, you know, mm-hmm. I just was already, if they came out while I was in seminary, I was already reading more academic stuff. But I, I want to say they were they were after. Okay. Well, next time you preach Revelation, I encourage you to read those books first. Okay. And then, uh, okay. And then we can find out really what the, the book is all okay. about. Okay. Now, now in, your first, uh, in your first sermon, you said that the point of the whole book, and it'd be interesting to hear if you still agree with this, because I know you were you know, just getting started. The Lord of history is the Lord of the church and what the implication or application. So listen to him. So how does the fact that the Lord of history is the Lord of the church uh, give us hope or a heavenly perspective in difficult times? Yeah, I mean, that's a very compressed statement. And mm-hmm. it would almost, you, the, the truth of the statement is almost found as well when you reverse it. Mm-hmm. The Lord of the Church is mm-hmm. the Lord of History, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I guess I I think the thing that comes out of that that should give us hope is that uh, God is uh, through Christ guiding history sovereignly, guiding history, unfolding history uh, for the sake of the Church and His glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 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 outcome's not in doubt. Uh, the, the end is known, and everything that's happening is happening uh, not just for a purpose, but for the purpose of the, the strengthening of the church, the spread of the gospel, and ultimately the vindication of the church and the church's faith in Christ. So uh, when, when, you, when you see that, you, you begin to realize, oh, even, even my suffering even my rejection by family and friends, uh, even the, the fact that well, I got passed over for a promotion because I'm too much of a Christian on the job, or you know, all, all of that, um, which which is real and it entails real suffering now. All of that God intends to use to vindicate you on the last day. Your faith, your suffering faith, your persevering faith in Christ, is is not a waste. Uh, it's not going to be forgotten. But it's going to be held up as as evidence on the last day, vindicating you and your faith in Christ, even as your faith 
in Christ vindicates Christ himself. Mm, amen. And you, so you found that to be kind of a, a reoccurring kind of the theme from beginning to end, particularly as you're just a couple weeks, or wait, it was just this last Sunday that you preached yeah, Revelation 21 Sunday. and 22. Yeah. So it, it comes together nicely at the end to, to vindicate that perspective, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really helpful in terms of giving us uh, a heavenly perspective to, to remember that big idea. What's hard, of course, is to wait for our vindication. Right. You know, we want to be vindicated now. Yes. And and thus we're constantly wanting an, an over-realized eschatology. Hmm. You, you know, we, we, we want it all now. Right. Uh, and it's it's hard to wait. But, but the vindication is coming. I wonder, hopefully in God's providence, we're about to start this sermon series, not this coming Sunday with Mark and Psalm 93, but start this sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent and kind of this pilgrim, this journey yeah. um, to our heavenly home. It was, well, the Israelites going to Jerusalem to, Jerusalem, to worship. To Jerusalem, yeah. um, but uh, hopefully we can kind of play off that idea is that we're on this journey together. We're waiting on the Lord. How yeah. long, O oh Lord? And uh, and asking him for, for help as we as we journey towards heaven together. Yeah, I think it's a nice, it's going to be a nice uh, follow-up to the Revelation series for exactly that reason. I look forward to it. All right, well, uh, just for fun, um, we talked about the Left Behind books already, but one of the things, you you didn't use the Left Behind books much (laughs) in your sermons since you haven't read them, but you have watched some Christopher Nolan movies, um, and I thought that was a helpful framework because of the way that he often bends time and the, the kind of how revelation isn't always chronological or linear right. and how we and how we read it or if we do read it that way we run into a number of problems right um but yeah just uh, we we could explore that idea but what i want to explore is what are some of your favorite christopher nolan movies you know i don't think i've watched a christopher nolan movie that i didn't like i've liked all of them oh you have i'm just a huge fan yeah uh now i'll put the batman movies in their own category sure right so thinking about the the Nolan movies that that particularly play with time. He like plays with time a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, there's this whole string of movies where, in one way or another, he is messing with or playing with ideas related to time. Uh, I I love Inception. Uh huh. I really like Tenet, though. I just watched it like uh, three weeks ago. Oh, here. The, I mean, the tip for Tenet is you you must turn on subtitles. You will just be lost. Yes. If you don't turn on the subtitles. Yeah. Because everybody's in masks uh-huh. <laughs> and they're muffled. And it's it's just hard to understand. Even with but, the subtitles, I don't know if I got it. I mean, I kind of get it. Yeah, but this, this was his most ambitious yet. Yeah, and I, I don't. I'm not even entirely sure it worked. But okay. um, one of my favorites is Memento. I forgot about that one. I forgot that was it's Christopher an Nolan, early, an early one. Yeah, is that the guy who like tattoos his body or basically yeah. draws on his body to remind him because of his amnesia because, every day? Because he has. Um, yeah, he has what's it called? Uh, long-term memory loss. All sure. he can remember is whatever happened in the last like hour or two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that one, that one was fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch that one. Yeah. Anyways, um, speaking of fun, um, you know, Revelation can be, as you referred to back in like high school youth group, uh, something that we debate. Um, so this is, I don't mean to be uh, overly provocative here, but another, other than the Christopher Nolan motif, you talked about how John writes in Old Testament. Yeah. Which is, if you don't get that, you're going to have, a, again, a really hard time, I think, understanding the book of Revelation and what these images mean. Um, but, uh, okay, if he writes in Old Testament, um, isn't the Old Testament all about Israel? And 
you didn't talk about the nation of Israel that much. And even um, even in Revelation 20, I had a, a, a faithful brother in the church say, where was Israel in that sermon? So I don't want you to just respond to that comment, but just um, help us help us understand. I mean, we, we understand that you kind of grew up more dispensational. Yeah. Or that was the perspective of the church. But uh, talk to us about Israel's place in the book of Revelation and how you think about how you thought about that. Yeah, and that's a that's a huge question. That's a big one. That's a really big question. So, um, and, and I referred to this a few times. Some of the some of the big debates about eschatology, uh, the the place and future of Israel, they really aren't finally settled by the book of Revelation alone. Um, the it has to do with how do you interpret the prophecies of the book of Daniel or Zechariah, or for that matter, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Um, how do you think all of that relates to Jesus uh, and and the kind of the mini apocalyptic chapters in the Gospels, which I didn't refer to very much, mm-hmm. um, though they're always there in the background. So there, there are huge questions there. Um, you know, one of the reasons, for example, I didn't talk about Israel in my sermon on Revelation 20 is because the, the word Israel never shows up. I mean, Israel's not there mm-hmm. in the text. Mm-hmm. And and so you're going to have to, if you're going to find Israel in, in chapter 20, it's because you've made other decisions about the meaning of the last chapters of Daniel or Zechariah. You know, so there, there are kind of other things going on there that I, I just wasn't going to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, this gets back to the biblical theology. Hmm. I think that the book, uh, the Old Testament is about Israel, but it's ultimately not about Israel in the flesh. It's ultimately about uh, Jesus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who is the true Israel, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. true Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all of the promises of the Old Testament, I think, the Abrahamic promises, the Mosaic promises, the Davidic promises, they all come together in Christ and are fulfilled in Christ. And so the fulfillment of the promises to Israel now find their fulfillment in Christ and for all who are now included in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. So, you know, Paul makes the argument multiple times in in different New Testament letters that being a Jew after the flesh counts for nothing. What what counts is being uh, a spiritual descendant of Abraham, not a physical descendant of Abraham, uh, because the promises are being kept through Christ to those spiritual descendants. So because, and that's a, you know, that's a biblical theological perspective that I've been preaching from from the beginning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And and so I think there were quite a, there were other members of the church, you know, who, who said to me, oh, it's so interesting hearing you preach through the book of Revelation because it sounds like the rest of the New Testament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound like this really strange and foreign and different book to the rest of the New Testament. The way you're preaching through it, it makes it sound like everything else that you've said the New Testament says about about Jesus and our place in him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so when John is writing in Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, what I mean by that is, on the one hand, he is he is painting these fantastic 
images. And I, I, I do think these are visions that God mm. gave to him, mm-hmm. but they're, they're particularly framed in Old Testament terms. And so if we're going to understand what those images mean, what they signify, uh, we, we shouldn't be thumbing through, uh, uh, what's that, like, you know, uh, Jane's um, uh, book of military uh, uh, weaponry, um, or the newspaper, or no, we should be going back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. How, how, how's this image used and developed in, in the Old Testament? So that's, that's certainly one thing. And then the other thing is, I think, yeah, he's writing Old Testament because he's doing the same thing that the rest of the New Testament authors do, which is demonstrating how the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Fulfilled in Christ. Fulfilled in Christ, yep. and then worked out in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, you could agree with, I think, pretty much everything you just said, and yet hold a different view about the place of Israel at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, and you can like, be a happy member of this church. Be a happy member. Like, yeah. So this would be a place, I think, where Todd and I happily disagree. Uh-huh. Y- you know, um, and I really, I think I understand and respect the, the the hermeneutical decisions he's made that's led him to a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a, a simple way of putting it is just as we understand that 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 Christ Christ's coming, which is prophesied in the Old Testament, it actually came in two parts. There's a first coming and the second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd would say, actually, that second coming also comes in two parts. There's a first, second coming, and a second, second coming, and I can I can totally see why he gets there. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with the the conclusion, but we're we're reading the same Bible. We're actually applying a very similar hermeneutic. We're making some different decisions along the way. Um, those decisions, though, in no way get in the way of us being in happy fellowship with one another. In, in the church. And Todd was a part of helping lead the church and not dividing over that issue in particular when it came to our statement of faith before you got here. Yeah. Uh, kind of separated from from you and your perspective. That's right. Um, you, weren't, you weren't the one leading the church and to not divide over that. Well, and I, I think, you know, just to give credit where credit's due, um, not only did he lead in that, but he was kind of the only one who could, right? Because mm-hmm. he was or and is a mm-hmm. classic pre-mill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and a seminary prophet, he's studied this and, you know, carries, rightly carries a lot of weight in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, if if he didn't feel like this is something that could have been done, I don't think the rest of the elders would have pushed it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, he, he really led the way there. We're going to talk about this uh, a little bit more in the part two of this podcast, but I want to conclude this episode um, thinking about like two areas of application, namely missions and worship. Yeah. So in the midst of the sermon series, we sent out the Rileys. Yeah. Um, and God willing, we'll be sending out the Sylvesters soon. How does Revelation encourage us towards missions? I, I think uh, Revelation is one of the great mission texts, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, for several reasons. One, again and again and again, right, throughout the book of Revelation, we see that that uh, the number of elect includes the nations. Mm-hmm. Like the nations are going to be present. Uh, the, the nations are gathered around the throne singing God's praises. 
uh, the, the, the nations are, are being drawn into the new Jerusalem. They're all going to be there. Uh, so, so Revelation, far from focusing us on one ethnic group, really presses us to, the, to, to see the whole world um, as gathered. Uh, but, but then, of course, the other thing that it does is it gives us great confidence mm-hmm. because again and again and again, we're reminded they're all going to be there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be missing. And, and, of course, so much is going on there with the symbolic use of numbers, um, the, the way numbers like 12 get doubled or, uh, uh, you know, factors of 10 get used. There's just different ways that John is using numbers symbolically to get across the point they're all going to be there. Hmm. No one's going to be missing. So I think uh, not only does Revelation push us out into a hostile world, uh, it gives us just fantastic confidence uh, that, that, no, not everybody's going to accept the message. Mm-hmm. Like, we're basically told that in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. In fact, many are going to receive the message with hostility and are going to respond with persecution. Mm-hmm. However the elect are going to be saved mm-hmm. and not one will be lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the kind of heavenly perspective that we need. That we need. Um, particularly as we feel uh, maybe even our own government uh, becoming a little more hostile or certainly if not government culture towards Christian faith, yeah. Christian values. I know many in this church have shared with me that they, they feel that and maybe in their workplace. Of course. Um, of course. And, and that's, you know, just to add to that, I, I think it's really important for us to be reminded, and the book of Revelation does this, that the, the message of the gospel uh, and the victory of the gospel is, is secured by Christ himself, mm-hmm. uh, attended by angels, but it is carried by the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is no government or culture that will do this work for us because all governments, including our own, and all cultures, including our own, are always already either moving towards beastliness mm-hmm. or moving toward a Babylon, Babylonian kind of whorishness. Compromise. Compromise, yeah. 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 There, and, and, and never is human government, fallen human government, or fallen human culture, uh, the, the carrier uh, and, the, and the savior and the protector of the gospel. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, good. Well, let's conclude this episode by just any, any thoughts and reflections after walking through the book. What does Revelation teach us about worship? Oh, that's, what, what a great question. I was really struck by this with that last sermon, mm-hmm. uh, and really in some ways the last two sermons, uh, because sometimes we can think of that glorious day of worship as just something out in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't it going to be great someday? Mm-hmm. But to be reminded, oh, no, we are already participating. We are already participating in that. So it was a, a great reminder to me that the most earth-shattering, cosmically significant thing I do every week is gather with God's people to publicly worship him, hmm. mm-hmm. to publicly declare his praises, to publicly vindicate him uh, and his testimony in the gospel. Because when we do that here on earth, we have actually gathered with the saints and the angels at, at the heavenly Mount Zion, mm-hmm. at, at the heavenly city. There's, hmm. there's a, a sense in which in that moment, the future in its, in its most significant sense has broken into the present. 
It's an already not yet. I've heard you talk about it as a as we gather to worship uh, Christ the risen King, a dress rehearsal for the the day that is is coming. Yeah. Um, but in in one sense, because we've been raised with Christ, because He He reigns from heaven, it is it it is already here. It's already here. Yeah. It's it's opening night. I mean, mm. it's, so it's this weird. This is where you go back to Christopher Nolan, right? Yeah. You, you know, like no, it's still in the future, and yet somehow we are already participating in it. Yeah. That is glorious. And if I think as we live with that perspective and 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 realize that that yes, it's that that public gathering, but but then it 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 like spills over into the rest of our lives, right? So now all my all of my my whole life is worship. I think about uh in in Revelation 21, you know, the kings are going to bring their splendor in. Well, who are those kings? It's the redeemed. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's some special class of people that are going to be kings over all the rest of the Christians. No, it, we were created to be kings and queens, vice regents over creation. And and in the new creation, we're all that we are and all that we do, we're going to bring in as worship to the Lord. And the reality is, oh, already. Mm-hmm. Already I am enabled to begin to live that way. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to conclude this uh, this first part of this two-part uh, episodes. And as Dr. Dre once famously said, hope you're ready for the next episode, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Dan.